Last week, for those of you who are here, I used our good old broom, and we were talking about the laws of balance. How many of you were here last week, just so I know who I'm talking to? Okay. And last week, we talked about the laws of balance, and one of the things you've got to do when you balance something, you've got to keep your eyes on a fixed reference point. You've got to keep your eyes on that. Now, what was the reference point we talked about last week? It sounded like you need to know, knowing where it's going. You need to knowing where it's going. Now, once you've got your eye on the constant reference point, you also need to make adjustments, constant adjustments. That was the second law of balance that we talked about. Constant adjustments as you keep your eye on the fixed reference point, which is knowing where it's Whoa, I better hurry up. And you also need to have an objective. And my objective in this case is to keep the pole vertical. Keep your financial house vertical. Keep yourself in balance. What you need to do is you need to keep your eye on the fixed reference point, make constant adjustments, and thirdly, have a clear objective. That's what we talked about last week. And I encouraged you last week specifically to create a system a system so you do know where it's going. Because remember, I said to you before, people say money talks, but I said, no, it doesn't. It just walks quietly away and you wonder where it's gone, right? So all real Christians that were here last week did that. They created a system to know where it's going or knowing where it's going. Now, if you need a hand with that, I personally use something called Quicken. Some of our people here work for NYOB, and we've got people here that work for Zero. I happen to use software because it just gets more complicated. When we first started out, Kim and I could do it over the dining room table, and we'd have a manual system. If that works for you, happy day. But whatever you do, you need a system. Question. As doers of the word, and in New Hope we encourage people to be doers of the word, have you done this? Do you have a system? Before we even start, last week we talked about opening the books. This week we're going to talk about looking at the fine print. But before we even go any further, you need to ask the question with your husband or your spouse, or if you're single, have you got a system? Because I found Good intentions aren't good enough. Oh, I intend to do that, but I need to actually do it. Huh? So, the second law of balance was constant correction. The third one was a clear objective. Today, we're going to look for an answer to the question from the Bible, from Scripture. What is our proper, a proper objective when it comes to money? What is it that you're even trying to do? Now, I know many of you have financial goals. Many of you have them. And you should have financial goals. The Bible is very clear. Remember last week I talked about that. The Bible has a ton, 2,350 verses on money management. Have you even read them? It's a good place to start from the owner's manual. And he gives lots of counsel there. Now, which brings us to the question this morning. If you had to have sum up all of what you're doing financially and summarize your financial goal or your financial objective in one sentence, what would that be? What would it really be? 
Now, I want you to just think about that. This is a very important question because we spend a lot of our lives revolving around this area of money. Some would say, well, Pastor Ian, I never really thought about it, (laughs) especially to compress it into one sentence. But in terms of a clear objective, well, if you were to ask me, perhaps I'd say, I know, to provide for my family. That's what you'd say. And that's a great objective. That is a fantastic... In fact, the Bible says, he who does not provide for his own family, listen clearly, is worse than an unbeliever. That is strong language. Huh? Yeah? (laughs) It's not... It's very clear. Oi! Get about it. This is one objective. But if that is your only objective, that leaves a lot of things out. And that will mean that you're imbalanced. If it's your only objective. I've met very many wealthy people who are crazy about providing for their family, but they're not very good at, say, for example, giving. That's not balanced. Second, something else must say, well... If you had to summarize it in one sentence, my objective is to make all the money I can. Now that is a good thing, to make as much money as you can. There's no no problem with that. Make money. You are supposed to make money. Don't apologize for that. Don't ever feel bad about that. But if that's all you focus on, that's going to cause you trouble. Because even if you make it all, doesn't mean to say you manage it well. Boy, the number of people I know that make a ton of money but are terrible managers of the resources God's put in their hands. Also, some people who focus on making all they can, they forget there's a lot of other spin-offs to this. Like, um, ambition's good, but unbridled ambition will kill your marriage. It'll kill a relationship with your children because you'll never see them because it's all you focus on. You have to have boundaries around that. So making all you can, it won't make you balanced, it won't make you happy or even content because I know some people who have got hundreds of millions. Wouldn't that be nice? You think, well, I'd be happy with that. (laughs) But I also know some of those whose partners have taken them for a skate and their lives are hell. Their marriage is in tatters. And they're not balanced because their objective is to make all the money they can at the exclusion of everything. They are not balanced. Now, some of you would say, well, if you were to ask me, I'm different to all those first two characters. My objective is to save as much as possible. And it's all about saving, saving, savings. Now, if that's you, chances are you're not very much fun to live with. I hear that. Now, saving, the Bible will tell you, is very important. But it's just one part of balance. Remember, I'm giving you the slices. Saving is important. But many of you may have a difficult time in lending or giving. Now, the Bible says here in Proverbs, the first part of the verse, Proverbs 21.20, the first part A, says this. A wise man saves for the future. You better be saving. That's part of balance. But maybe for you, you've overextended that strength. And this is what happens, friends. (laughs) Every time you and I overextend a strength, 
it becomes a weakness. It'll become your weakness. Making money is good. You may be good at it. But if you overextend that strength, it becomes your weakness. Saving is good. But if you overextend it, as I'm going to show you, you may, it'll impact other areas of your life. Maybe your family has to beg you for every dollar. And your response is this, well, I'm just being careful. Truth is, you're not balanced, the Bible would say. You're not balanced. And you save all you can, all you can, and actually you're a hoarder of money. You're Scrooge McDuck impersonated. <laughs> and nobody benefits from it. Nobody enjoys it until you die. I've got something I want to put in your mind a little later on. That just reminded me of it. Others, if somebody were to come from Mars and look at you, and they say, well, I know what your number one objective is. It's spending. (laughs) Spending. You love to spend. Now, nobody writes this down as a goal. It will be embarrassing to even admit to ourselves that that's our goal, to spend, spend, spend. But... If you have a lot of consumer debt, apparently, that's what's driving you. Apparently. Now, guys, I know, for example, of a place, it's a big green shed. And you walk in there expecting to spend $10 to buy something new to fix some stuff. But lo and behold, you walk out with $120 of stuff that you didn't know that you needed. Because <laughs> boy, did you see a good deal whilst you were there. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're spending more than you're making, it ends up not being fun. Young people, listen carefully to this. It ends up being horrible. And the Bible will talk about that. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Because you're not balanced and it's ultimately not satisfying because you're feeding this insatiable appetite which says I need to get more, accumulate more, spend, spend, spend. Now the second part of that verse that we just looked at says this. A wise man says the future, but a foolish man spends whatever he gets. So implication, not so obvious. You are full if you spend whatever you get. (laughs) That's what it says. Or you may be more financially conservative. And you would say, Pastor, if you were to ask what my overarching objective is with my finance, it would be to be financially free. That's what you'd say. Now, that's not a bad goal. The problem with that goal is what the heck does it actually mean? We all know people who have had enough money to do with whatever they wanted to do, and yet they ended up wrecking their lives and eventually going bankrupt. And you think, what I think, how could somebody possibly mismanage, misleverage those resources? I would never happen to me. Never. The problem 
of this goal of being financially free, as good as it sounds, does not provide you or you or me with a moral compass or create any boundaries. It's a great thing to shoot for. Along with make all you can, along with save all you can, along with give all you can, along with take care of your family. And all of those are worthwhile goals, but they're just not enough. You see, if you pursue one or two or three of those whilst neglecting your others, you will be out of balance, as I'm going to show you. In the next few minutes, I want to try and answer the question from Scripture. This is not my opinion. This is God's. This is from his words. What is the one thing that should guide, drive you and provide a true north, a moral compass, in terms of your personal finances? What is that one thing? from scripture what is the grid that it should run all of my finances through or in other words what is the clearest objective that would give direction in my life is to in terms of my income my debt my saving my giving my lifestyle what is that one thing well i'm glad to tell you scripture does give us clarity on this and the Old Testament, doesn't matter whether you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Today I'm going to mainly focus on the Old Testament. But the truth is very liberating. And by the way, same answer but in, in all of God's Word. Because God's Word is integrated. If you ever find something that doesn't make sense with this, this part of the Bible and the other part of the Bible, you just need to work at looking at the whole counsel of the Word of God. Read, what good objective for you is to read the Bible through, from Genesis through to Revelation. Get re-familiarized with what the scriptures actually say. So, this is a very liberating truth. And if you would relax into this one truth, there will be peace. There will be freedom. Because the Holy Spirit will be having his way in your life. So if you want to follow along, if you bought your Bibles today, I highly encourage you to pull them out and turn to the book of Chronicles. First Chronicles. Now, First Chronicles is a history book. First Chronicles, we're going to go to chapter 29. And the reason why we're going to go there, um, whilst we, I'm allowing you to get, get some time to get there, to understand the proper objective and goal for your personal finances, you need to know how God looks at the stuff he's given you to manage for the few years that you're on earth. And the context here, in, the first, in, 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 in this part here, so we're looking at, um, here we are, First Chronicles 29.10. That's where we're going to be working from. The context in First Chronicles, it tells a story about a man called David, who was the king of Israel. And if you go to Israel today, you can still see the remains of some of his palaces there. And this is, we're talking about 1,000 BC, 1,000 years before Christ. And David is in that place in his life, that lovely place where his enemies have been subdued, and, and Israel was at peace. Ah, nice place to be. And it occurred to David one day, as he was sitting in his lavish palace, that God's place, where they kept the tabernacle, was still in a tent. And how that worked is this. The tabernacle was housed, typically, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a box inlaid with gold, 
which is where Israel, as it was coming up from Egypt, all the way back up this way, to get to Israel, it would keep the Ten Commandments and the, and the rod of Moses, which budded. And what they would do is, as they camped along this journey, obviously they made several stops, they would set up this house called the Tabernacle, and in this would be a special place where the ark was kept. Anyway, finally they, and by the way, you can see that place. If you go to Israel today, there's a place called Shiloh, and you can go to the last place before they moved the ark of the covenant and where the tabernacle was erected. It's called Shiloh. You can go there. You can go and you can see where the stones still are. Oh, it's amazing. If you get that opportunity, highly recommend it. So here they are. They arrived back finally in Israel and built this amazing city called Jerusalem. And, but they left the ark back in the tent up in Shiloh there. And then David says, hey, it's time to quit camping out and time we built God a house. This is what he's saying. I'm just as an introduction. So in his heart, he decides he wants to build the very first temple ever to the Jewish God. And I'm going to pick it up firstly, actually, at 1 Chronicles 17.1 is the first scripture. And the Bible says this, after David was settled in his palace, you got the idea, shimmying around, got everything in the right place. <sighs> He's sitting back thinking, wow, this is great. Finally in Jerusalem, he says to Nathan the prophet, hey, here I am living in a palace of cedar, whilst the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent up there in Shiloh. That's a good thing to think. But then God says to David, Hey David, great idea, but I can't let you build my temple because you have got too much blood on your hands. You've been a man of war. You've been a man of blood. You've murdered people. Can't let that happen. Instead, God says, We're going to let your son Solomon build this temple. Now, David, I'm really impressed, did not respond like you or I may have. He didn't sulk. He didn't say, hmm, that's unfair. He goes, that's okay. I love that. That's okay. You know best. And instead, David was so pumped about the idea, he hires some architects to start designing what this thing's going to look like. And God said, that's great. And he starts to raise some money to build what will eventually become Solomon's temple. And that was in the place now you can again go to Israel and you can see some of these supporting walls that were around the side of that today. And as he does that, he goes as the king, as he's right to do, he goes to the national treasury. And what he does there, he was in charge, so he says, this is what I'm going to do. And he sets aside gold and silver for this beautiful ornate building. And then he goes to his own personal wealth. And he doesn't go, what he does, he doesn't just go grab a percentage there. He, with all of his light, he says he's delighted. He's very excited. He's so excited. This guy hauls in, and I did the conversion at today's calculations and today's exchange rate, $14 billion. Fourteen billion, hundreds of pounds of gold and silver. And then he calls the leaders of the major families and he asks them to contribute. But he says this, I want you to contribute something, but here's the catch. Most of you are not going to see this in your lifetime. It's going to take so long to build. It's going to be so huge. 
when it's completely done. But the Bible still records that they gave very generously and not begrudgingly. Now, as the people were coming forward, and we're getting to where I want to get to now, David prays a prayer. In First Chronicles 29, this is awesome. Because it gives us insight into David's heart, his understanding of wealth and generosity, and he had a lot of it. And we also gain insight from the same passage into how God views wealth, and it perfectly parallels the way Jesus viewed wealth. And he would teach the same principle a thousand years later. So let me read this prayer, and as we go through it together, we are going to discover the answer to the question, what is the one thing that should drive the way that we manage and handle our wealth, our stuff? What is the one objective that if we keep it front and center, it will help us organize our wealth, our retirement, our income, and everything that has to do this stuff in such a way that we remain balanced. So, let's go to the text, First Chronicles 29. That should have given you plenty of time to find it. I know it's a long way in, but it's, here we go. First Chronicles 29. Firstly, verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Summary statement coming up. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. This is all about you, he's saying. For everything on heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, not mine, even though he's a king. He realized, whoa, 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 I'm just a little bitty, bitty, bitty king. You're the big king. You're the king of all kings. Meaning everything belongs to God. You are exalted as head over all. And again, even though I'm king down here for a little while, just a few years, I recognize that you are head over all. Verse 12. If you allow me to use the word our here. Our wealth, our honor comes from you. You are the ruler of all things. Not only does everything belong to you, he's saying here, everything comes from God, wealth and honor, he's saying, comes from you. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. What he's doing here is he's recognizing that anybody that has accomplished anything at all in this life is because God gave them the strength, the talent, and the opportunity to do so. Anybody that says, well, with a puffed up chest, look what I have done, needs to remember it's really about what God has allowed them to do. Anybody that has extraordinary talent that's allowed them to bubble up to the top in their industry or in their company needs to remember what David said. God, remember It all came from you in the first place. You gave me that talent. You gave me that ability. You gave me that set of skills. And David would say this. Sure, I worked hard. 
I was disciplined. I had to make tough calls. But as I look back on my life, I can't even begin to take credit for what has happened. God is the one that exalts. God is the one that gives strength to all. Strength, ability, opportunity, ingenuity, tenacity. And all of those things that we would say would have helped us get to where we are in life, they would say, before you get too excited about yourself, you just need to know, God is the one who dispenses all those things. Everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispensed by him or distributed. Now listen, this is the guts of it, how he gets to the end. Listen to how he ends this. Verse 13. Now our God... We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He's saying here, it's an honor for us to be part of what God is doing. Last summary statement, which echoes perfectly what Jesus taught in the New Testament. Here it is. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Now let's talk about that. Let's think about this. If everything belongs to, comes from, and is distributed by God, then our number one objective, our motivating factor that pulls together all we make financially, all our resource decisions, comes down to two simple words. Honor God. Comes down to two simple words. Honor God with everything that we make and manage whilst we're on earth. Our objective should be to honor God with everything. Now let me just tell you here a little bit how I was disciplined, discipled as a Christian when I first became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I was taught by a very good pastor. If I earned a dollar, 10 cents went to God. If I earned $10, a buck went to God. If I earned $100, 10 bucks went to God. If I earned 10 grand, Ah, uh, hold on. That's a lot of money. A thousand bucks. <laughs> Interestingly though, when it was 10 cents, ah, well, doesn't matter much. Psst, give it to the church. <laughs> Didn't hurt. So I was basically raised on this thinking. Me. You give God a percentage. And so that's always been my habit and my wife's habit. On top of offerings. So basic was a 10% for me. And that was a. But here's the kind of thinking that was very dangerous that went along with that. Listen carefully. Okay God. That comes my wallet. Let me just count this up. Here's yours. And this is mine. I get to do whatever I like with the other 
Now, can I lovingly challenge you that there is nothing at all in Scripture that even hints that that is a proper way to view wealth? Nothing. It's not simply just about giving. It's also about living. Don't miss that. It's not just about giving. It's about living. Scripture teaches us we're not to honor with a percentage. We're to honor God with all that we have. All of it. So, to remain financially balanced, you ask, how can I honor God, the two words we're focusing on today, with my wealth? So honoring God, point is, is not just about, it includes giving and living. It's the whole thing. Giving is a part. But don't use that as an excuse. Well, I gave 10%. And I can do whatever the heck I like with the rest of it. You honor God with all, in all of your financial decisions. For example, I own, and the proud owner, in the right sense of the word, of a 1993 Honda Legend, which is about to have its 23rd birthday. (laughs) And I use that a lot to tow heavy trailers of stuff to the tip. Actually, let me be clear. Biomass to the tip, right? Not material stuff. Biomass, it just seems to grow. Anyway. Now, if I loaned you my car, because your one, like my wife's one, couldn't pull a skin off a rice pudding... You needed a decent V6 to pull something, and you took it. What percentage of that car would I want you to take care of? All of it. Right, yeah. I wouldn't want it to come back with the uh, attitude. Well, I looked at, I cleaned the left-hand wheel. The rest of it's trashed. You know? Or I cleaned it, I vacuumed and polished the, the, the passenger side, but not the rest of it, after you'd used it for a week or longer. Now, as a good steward, the thinking should be, this is not my car. I'm going to take care of all of it. Like Grant, when he buys my chainsaw, it comes back polished. Forget the spit, Grant, but you know, <laughs> the polish. No, the attitude is, I will honour you by taking care of 100% of your car or your chainsaw. It doesn't come back blunt and munted. It comes back in good condition. Now, God says, this is how I view your stuff, your wealth, the money, your income, your kiwi saver, your inheritance, whatever it is. It's not about paying me off with 10% or a percentage, and then you can forget it. I'm all... Me, Ian Buckley, is all about a percentage, but this isn't what it's about. The driving force in terms of staying balanced is to learn how to honor God with everything. You see, 33 years ago, I stood up before about 300 people at an altar and a very scary man called Peter Carverhill. And guys, when you say your vows, if you haven't done this yet, you say them to God and you say them to Peter. And I said to God and to Peter, I promise to honor and cherish Kimberly all the days of my life. And I don't think Peter was over there thinking, 
I wonder what percentage of my daughter does Ian plan on honoring? <laughs> yeah. He had some other ideas. He's saying, you better honor a 100% boy. <laughs> That's what he thought. Now, if you read the Old Testament and if you read the New Testament, God doesn't think of percentage terms. This is mine and that's yours. It's not a percentage thing. It's an honor God thing. And God says, I own it all. And what you manage in this life, I have allowed you to manage and distribute as I see fit. It's all mine. You'll get it for 70, 80 years and then you'll pass it on to somebody else. And they may manage it better than you. Or they may not. So here's a thought. Do you give them while you're living and then you know where it's going? You may want to write that down. Do you giving whilst you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. So my objective when it comes to income, important. When it comes to savings, important. When it comes to giving, important. When it comes to buying stuff, important. It should go through this grid. This is the grid. Remember this, if nothing else. Okay, God, how do I honor you? How do I honor you with everything that I do? Next question is, some of you are men are chomping at the bit. Well, give me a list. Give me a roadmap. Show me what this would actually look like. Okay. Well, a good place, if you are serious about this, and I hope you are, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that that's the desire of your heart, is to pray a prayer. You need to pray it yourself. You and God. And say, God, show me how to honor you with everything that you've given me to manage. And to some of you, He will say this, and I'm not apologizing for this. Listen carefully. To some of you, he will say, you need to give some more. You're great at saving, but you are horrible at giving. And you go, okay, I get that message. (laughs) Some of you, um, well, he's going to say this to you. You need to save some more. It is horribly dishonoring for me. When you're, when you're teaching on the brink of bankruptcy, you have no plans for the future that is irresponsible. It doesn't honor me. You need a plan. That's what he's going to say to some of you today. And you're going to take that away. And you're going to go, okay, I hear that. I need to do that. Now to some of you, he's going to say, you need to spend less. It's not that you can't afford to buy. (laughs) We're not saying that. It's that you throw money away. It's all that stuff in your garage that you can't even get into now. (laughs) That you don't even use. This is not an issue of you can't afford it. The issue is, is it honoring me? Some of you, when I was in the corporate world, we had the pleasure of my wife and I visiting nearly every Pacific Island. Because we'll try something new, try this, try that, try this, try that, try that. Till one day, my wife got very upset. I said, honey, how can you be upset about a holiday? I don't know where it was, Rarotonga, somewhere like that. And she said, honey, look at us. We're sitting here in a very nice hotel room. Actually, it was some other place. Vanuatu, okay, she's telling me. She remembers the place distinctly. So we had a very long conversation 
over a dinner which the steak was sticking in my throat because I knew what was coming. She said, let's not do this anymore. Let's try and holiday on purpose. What do you mean? Holiday on purpose. What that means is you may you need some time to relax. But see if there's something that we can do to extend God's kingdom whilst we're there. Holiday on purpose. We're about to go and visit my daughter in, in Uganda. And the work that they're doing there with the refugee camps. I'm going to do some work in South Africa in a seminary and help move the kingdom of God forward there as well. And with pastors and business people. But that's something to think about. For some of you who say, rather than just take your tour off to Vanuatu or wherever else, maybe God's saying to you, next holiday we do something on purpose. Yeah, we do something for ourselves. That is very important to holiday with your spouse. But at the same time, try and do something on purpose that's constructed that last past your holiday. Maybe for some of you, it's going to be cancel subscriptions that you just never even get chance to read. Yeah, it was a great idea at the time. <laughs> but you never read them. Maybe for some of you, you won't leave as much for your kids. I've already told my kids, we've got four kids. You're getting A, B, C, and D, but there's more. There's some other, another portion that's going to other purposes that'll live long after. We've gone. Because I don't know what they'll do with it. No, no guarantee. Some of you may need to liquidate some of your collections. And I feel, even in this, as I'm sharing this with you, that um, I need to liquidate my motorcycle, which was given to me by my company before I left. Brand new Ducati 91664. I hardly use it. Even that was given to me as a gift. That needs to be repurposed for something that'll do better. So that's going. For some of you, you have some collections of things. They're just sitting around. Maybe they need to be liquidated and that money put back into some more productive use for the kingdom of God. How do I with God to the collection? Because here's the point, friends, is eventually that collection is going to somebody else. Someday. And they have to figure out, how do I honor God with that collection? Now, when you hear that, some of you get a bit nervous. <laughs> Relax. Because it's just a matter of time before it goes to somebody else. As does all of our stuff. Why not enjoy the process, instead of it being pried out of your dead, cold, clammy hands, you release it freely. For some of you, this is a big one. God's going to say to you, enough. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. We're going to talk about that. Mm, nothing's next week. Get out of debt. Because a borrower becomes the lender's slave. Husbands, here's something. For some of you here today, maybe God's saying to you, be, don't be, oh, be careful. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Bad words nearly came out of my mouth. Husbands, don't be such a tight bum with your wives. So stingy. You know what I mean by that? Stingy. You are dishonoring her by treating her so tightly. It dishonors God and it dishonors her, your wife. Maybe, ooh, that was worth a message. <laughs> Ladies, unless you think I'm going after all the men. 
you might want to ponder something else that takes up your, another way to spend your free time other than shopping. All those hours looking for something to need. (laughs) At the end of the year, there are a lot of hours that you'll never get back. (laughs) So, let's wrap this up. I want today to challenge you to ask the question. What is your objective? What's our objective? It's to honor God. It is to honor God. What are you supposed to do with your wealth? You honor God. Now here's the point. What's the reference point? You need to know where it's going. You cannot get past base one unless you have a system to measure. How can you manage what you cannot measure? How can you manage what you cannot measure? In work, it's the same. It's the same in your own home. So what's our reference point? Where is it going? And you both need to know that. Not, oh, that's my wife's stuff, or that's my husband's response. It is both of your responsibilities to know exactly where it's going. Next, everything belongs to God and comes from God and is distributed by God, so honor God. How do you honor God with your stuff? Some of you today, again, you may need to loan something or liquidate something. You may need to give more. You may need to be a better planner for the future. You may need to quit frittering it away. And get more focus on where it's actually going. And it becomes an organizing principle for all of your finances. Now, one thing some of you will wrestle with, and that's okay, I understand this. But am I really honoring God with giving and leaving my kids so much money? Now, some of you think, well, I ought to do that because that's what my daddy did for me or my money. And maybe for you, honoring God is to rethink your will. Even better, do you giving whilst you're living than you knowing where it's going? That way there's no dispute. Maybe you need to rethink what that money could be better used for so it lives on after you distributing kingdom dividends. Now, I don't know where that's going to land with you. That's between you and God. But just ask, the, at least say, God, nope, I made my mind up. Whoa, 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 whoa. If he is the Lord, we should at least be able to say, well, God, that's a very provoking thought, but maybe I should at least say, well, okay, I'll let you have a look. And Have you got anything to say on this? At least have the conversation with your Heavenly Father, however he shows you, but have the conversation. Here's what I do know. This will be a prayer that God will answer. He'll show you as a couple, as an individual, as you open up your heart and say, God, show me how to honor you with the wealth that you have entrusted to me. It'll be extremely liberating. So, For that to happen, though, this calls for a word we don't hear very often and something that us males are very, again, the word surrender. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. This is how it gets traction. Have you ever done that? Have you ever surrendered your stuff? I remember when I did, especially my career to the Lord. 
when I literally said, God, you have given me these talents and abilities and opportunities, da-da-da-da-da-da, I put it, now it wasn't so easy, let me tell you, but I sensed he was saying, give it to me, or is that standing between, is that more important than me? Never, Lord. Well, will you open your hand? I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm nervous about putting my career on the line. I really, you, uh, physically, I would sweat with that decision. But that's okay. I'm just sharing with you. So if you feel nervous, I know how that feels. But here's what I've learned. Where God guides, he provides. Where he leads, he feeds. He's no man's debtor. If you've never had a time in your life where you say, Heavenly Father, before I can honor you with it all, I first have to, and this is the hard part. Here's, here's where it was hard for me. I had to open my hands which was gripping on so tightly too I had to open that that was a very challenging part of my discipleship see if I had my wallet which I actually went and actually went and got some money from the bank the other day don't worry honey this is how typically I, I used to operate I have some money and I say okay God here is let me count this Okay. I'll give it to you, Lord. Hold up. Let me give it to you. Here. That's yours. That's not what he wants to do. The first step is going like this and actually recognizing it all belongs to him. All. So here's my question to you Have you ever done this with your resources? with your career, with your talents. God didn't just give them to you for your own benefit. Have you ever done that? If that strikes you as scary, what I learned is because I had a crisis of faith and I wasn't sure whether I trusted God enough to do that. You think he's going to do something to you? No. Here on the other side of that, which I constantly have to surrender, he wants something for you. As we said last week, and this is a key, God wants our heart. But if I'm holding back, that often shows up in the way I view my resources. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you volitionally, intentionally, and as a clear decision said, God, as I have surrendered my eternity to you, I also surrender all that you've given me to manage. Not just a percentage, and the rest I can do with what the heck I like. So this isn't just about what I'm going to give. I surrender all to you. Have you ever made that decision? At the end of our time together, I want to give you a moment to do that. But at the same time, please, 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 Do not forget the great verse in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18, in which God says, I want you to still enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's not a sin. I want to give you an opportunity to think about that for just a few minutes with this song. I want you to let it sink in. And try this. Try it for a month. Say, God, I surrender all of my stuff. It's available to you. Show me how to honor you with all of it. And let me put a slight caveat in there. 
you will not get this, either will I get this chance forever. At the end of your life, somebody else will get an opportunity to honor God with all the stuff that you had an opportunity to honor him with. So don't dismiss it. For those of you who desire to be followers of Christ, deep followers of Christ, this isn't just an add-on. It is essential because it's reflective of the heart. When I married Kimberly, I gave him a whole lot. I didn't just give her 10% or whatever that may be. Who cares? Not a percentage of me. Wholehearted devotion. So the question is today, when you look at that balance, where do you need to, 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 to make a start? Do you need to start with figuring out where it's all going? Do you need to make some adjustments? Maybe the Holy Spirit today has prompted you on one or two areas, and it'll be different for you, to you, to you, to you, to you. All different. But to be balanced. One thing I hope you have got from today is the third point. Clear objective. Constant adjustment. You know what your objective with your finances is. In two words. To be balanced. To honor God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know for some of us today, this is review, but to some of us, it's brand new. For some of us, it may even feel a bit threatening. Others, we know deep in our heart, we wish we would have done it years ago. Father, wherever we are and however this lands, would you give all of us the courage so that What one day in our lives will make perfect sense. We'll be that way today. To surrender to the God that we can entrust things that he has entrusted us with. So Father, I pray in this moment that there will be people and students and young marrieds who would surrender this element of their lives now. God, show me how to honor you. Please give us wisdom to do what you would have us do, what we just heard, and give us the courage to do what you individually show us to do in the precious, powerful, and incredibly awesome name of Jesus our Savior. And all the people said...